Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Nathan Bryan. Dr. Bryan is an international leader in molecular medicine and nitric oxide biochemistry. In this episode, we discuss the function of nitric oxide in the body and its impact on health and human performance. We also discuss why L-arginine supplements are not the solution for increasing nitric oxide. This was a really interesting conversation and I was exposed to several things that I just did not know. But before we get started today, I wanna make you aware of a unique resource available to you. If you're looking for information or resources to improve your mind, body, and recovery, then sign up for my weekly newsletter, Adaptation. Every Friday, you'll get an email from me where I'll bring you cutting-edge science and tools you can use now to improve the way you look, feel, and perform. You can sign up now by going to www.ericcorum.com or clicking the link in the show notes. But now, it's time to lean in and learn from the best. Well, Nathan, it's a pleasure to have you on the blueprint today. And I'm excited to talk about this subject. What is nitric oxide? Let's talk about the history of a little bit. What's its function in the body? I'm really excited to dig into this with you. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, a, it's a great honor and a pleasure. But what you do is so important because it allows us, people in the scientific field, to reach the masses. And I think you asked a very important question is what is nitric oxide? But we know today it's one of the most important molecules produced in the body of humans. And so few people know about it. But it's a cell signaling molecule. It's a gas produced in the lining of the blood vessels. It opens up the blood vessels. It reduces inflammation, improves oxygen and nutrient delivery to every cell in the body. Uh, And it's what animates the human. You know, Galen described this back uh, almost 2,000 years ago, that there was this gas that animated the human. And he called this pneuma, this breath of life. Mm -hmm. And fast forward 2,000 years, we know that what he was describing then is nitric oxide. You need nitric oxide to deliver oxygen. You need nitric oxide for optimal circulation, optimal performance at every level of the body, at the cellular level. How did you get into researching this? I know that you you have a unique background in history, and I think I believe you're doing like clinical research, looking for things in nature that could be applied to medicine. Am I correct? Yeah, that's good. So I got in, I got involved in nitric oxide um, back in the early 2000s, right in, early, in 2000. So I have a degree in biochemistry from the University of Texas at Austin. I see your A&M helmet in the back, but I spent a year at A&M uh, <laughs> as an undergrad before I transferred uh, to the University of Texas. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of both. Uh, but then when I was a student at LSU School of Medicine, I was doing a rotation in a lab of pharmacologists who had been involved in nitric oxide research since the 1980s. And it was fascinating to me. A Nobel Prize had just been awarded for the discovery of nitric oxide. So we knew in the scientific community that it was a critically important molecule. At that point, we didn't know really how humans made it, what went wrong in people that couldn't make it, what are the clinical consequences. And then most importantly, there was no technology to restore or recapitulate nitric oxide-based signaling. So that's what set me on this path and really for the next 20 years, that's all I've done is, is research nitric oxide. I've made a number of seminal discoveries in the field. I have dozens of issued patents, and now we've developed technologies, both in terms of natural products and now drug therapies, that we have drugs now in phase three clinical trials for things like COVID-19, ischemic heart disease. Uh, we've got a pilot study we're about to start on Alzheimer's, and even a topical nitric oxide now for non-healing ulcers, diabetic ulcers, pressure ulcers. So what we're finding 
is that nitric oxide is really going to be the holy grail in terms of safe and effective therapeutics. There's not a single chronic disease where nitric oxide would not provide benefit. And so for me, that's exciting. We've made a number of discoveries and been successful over the past 10 or 12 years in the marketplace in nutrition and supplements and now in skincare and beauty. But I think as we move these technologies into safe and effective drug therapies, it'll change the world and how we treat people for the next 100 years. So when you say that there's not like a single pathology that this couldn't impact, can you double click on that for a second and explain like, like what is happening with nitric oxide in the body? I know we talked about vasodilation and a few other things, but can we talk about a little bit of the biochemistry, kind of unpack that and then how it can be so impactful on the human body? Well, to, to understand that or to, to, to answer those questions, we got to understand how the body makes nitric oxide, right? And so if you take a young, healthy individual, we know that they have good circulation, they have good blood pressure, they have good sexual function, their brain is well perfused, they have good memory, good cognition, and they're typically in good shape. So your exercise performance is optimized. But the, the older we get, one production pathway declines. So by the time we're 40 years old, half of our nitric oxide production is gone. So what happens at 40? Well, 50% of the men over the age of 40 report some degree of erectile dysfunction. People start to develop mild cognitive disorders. You don't perform as well as you did on the athletic field, in the boardroom, or even in the bedroom. You develop uh, you know, lethargy and fatigue. You can't exercise. And so all of those are symptoms of nitric oxide deficiency. You see an increase in your blood pressure. You get metabolic syndrome. You start to get insulin-resistant diabetes. So all of those are clinical symptoms and signs of insufficient nitric oxide production. So in fact, every single chronic disease is characterized by three things, poor circulation, inflammation, and oxidative stress. And nitric oxide controls and regulates all those. So if your body can't make nitric oxide, you don't perfuse your brain, you don't perfuse your heart, you don't perfuse your sex organs, so you don't get an increase in blood flow. You get inflammation, you get oxidative stress, and that sets the stage for chronic disease. So what about lifestyle factors? I mean, like, obviously, if you don't exercise, if you don't eat well, like you're, you're going to do all of those bad things. Let's say you, you are doing those things well. Are you still going to see a decline in nitric oxide production as you age? No, that's the beauty of it. We've learned so much over the past 25 years that we can actually revert, reverse this loss of nitric oxide with aging. When we, when we look at kind of population-based studies, there's about a 10 to 12% decline of nitric oxide per decade. And to the contrary, we now know that, and I'm the perfect example, I'm 48, almost 49 years old, but I have the vascular age of a 26-year-old. And so we now know that we see 21, 21, 22-year-old kids that have a vascular age of a 60-year-old, right? So we can modify our diet and our lifestyle to prevent this loss of nitric oxide production. And our objective early on in the basic sciences was if we can prevent the age-related loss of nitric oxide, can you prevent age-related disease? Because really, that's the fundamental question on how you change the world. And the answer is yes. It's a complex science because nitric oxide is a gas. When it's produced, it's gone in less than a second. But the strategies to restore it or to prevent the loss are really simple. It's diet and lifestyle. So moderate physical exercise stimulates nitric oxide production. We know a diet rich in green leafy vegetables, you know, it's the basis of um, the mechanism of action of a Mediterranean diet, a plant-based diet, all of those restore nitric oxide production. And then just getting moderate amounts of sunlight, 20 to 30 minutes of sunlight today, there's certain wavelengths of light that stimulate and release nitric oxide. So it's quite simple. Really? 
Yeah. It's so amazing. All the research. I mean, really in the past decade, 12, 13 years, even at like Burson's lab at Princeton, all the things that we're learning, my, my doctoral work was in sleep. Right. And so we were always thinking about the circadian clock, you know, the circadian pacemaker, the SCN. And we've known like, Hey, light initiates this process. I had no clue that light helps with uh, nitric oxide production. I'm not an expert in this area. So I know that L-arginine has something to do with nitric oxide. Can you explain that connection there? Well, the first pathway to be discovered to make nitric oxide is through an enzyme called nitric oxide synthase. And that enzyme converts L-arginine into nitric oxide. It's a very complex five-electron oxidation reaction. And that, that pathway, that enzyme becomes dysfunctional with age with diet, with lifestyle. So a lot of the things that disrupt nitric oxide production uncouple that NOS enzyme and lead to an inability to convert arginine to nitric oxide. And you make a very important point because there are a lot of nitric oxide, so-called nitric oxide products on the market that contain a lot of L-arginine. But the problem is the body's never deficient in arginine. The body's deficient in its ability to convert it to nitric oxide. So giving L-arginine does not work. It doesn't make sense biochemically. And clinically, it's, you know, the example I use is like putting gas in a car with a blown up engine. You're not out of fuel. You're not out of L-arginine. You just can't utilize that. So what we have to do, and we understand the enzymology now to where we know how to recouple that NOS enzyme to where the body can now more efficiently convert L-arginine into nitric oxide. So we get L-arginine from our diet and the breakdowns of proteins, but we all, it's also made through the urea cycle. So it's a semi-essential amino acid. And there's no need to supplement with arginine. Our body makes enough to saturate the binding sites to make nitric oxide. That is fascinating because I rem- I remember, I mean, I graduated in undergrad 03. And around that time, maybe it was 2000, 2000 maybe 99 to 03, somewhere in that time frame, this arginine stuff started hitting the market. Yeah. And they were talking about like even you know arginine sub- supplementation increasing anastomosis and vascular like revascularization of the heart. And that was like real early days. I'm guessing all that is now like kind of debunk science or kind of we've moved way past that is what you're well, saying. No, that's, yeah, that's right. So the basic science on that was very encouraging. But here's, mm-hmm. here's what's lost in translation. When you try to translate basic science into clinical medicine, and they've done that. So they've done long-term L-arginine studies in patient and post-infarct patients. These are patients who've had a heart attack. The patients who got the L-arginine actually did worse. That group, that arginine killed more people than the placebo in that trial. They repeated it in patients with peripheral artery disease. Same thing. They got worse on arginine. Because here's what happens. You give too much arginine, you redirect the arginine metabolism away from nitric oxide and through ornithine and urea disposal. So you upregulate arginase activity and you divert the arginine away from nitric oxide. And you're actually creating more oxidative stress. So we understand biochemically and mechanistically what explained the clinical outcomes of those studies. So giving L-arginine to a patient with endothelial dysfunction is a really bad idea. <laughs> oh my goodness. I just remember when it came out. I mean, I was an athlete, and, you know, and so they, they were giving us these supplements. And I think well, with good as intention. As long as you're young and healthy, you're probably not going to see any adverse no. events. But if you try to give that to a patient that can't make nitric oxide, bad things happen. Yeah, the dose makes the poison. I'm sure it wasn't right. such a massive amount that we were just, you know, keeling. Nobody, I, I never experienced any side effects. 
This is really interesting. I'm excited about our next conversation. We'll talk about kind of behaviors, foods, and supplements to increase nitric oxide. Yeah, great. Look forward to it. Thanks for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you love this episode, please take a screenshot on your phone and post it on Facebook or Instagram or wherever you post stuff. And make sure to tag me and tell me why you like this episode and what you'd like to hear in the future so I know what content to create for you. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.